What's up, folks? Welcome back to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, and we are on a mission to unlock human performance. This week's episode, Whoop VP of Performance Science, our principal scientist, Kristen Holmes, is joined by Dr. Allison Brager. She is a neurobiologist with expertise in sleep and circadian rhythms who works to examine the mind and body's resilience to extreme environmental stress. Kristen and Allison discuss misconceptions about sleep trends, the ideal sleeping conditions, think cold, dark, and quiet, the relationship between light and melatonin, circadian rhythms and sleep. Allison offers tips on how to manipulate and regulate your circadian rhythm. The importance of sleep consistency, behaviors that can disrupt sleep onset, and the positives and negatives around napping. Are you thinking about joining Whoop? You can visit our website, that's whoop.com. Sign up for a free 30-day trial. That's the full Whoop experience, hardware, software, analytics, you name it, and you get 30 days to decide if you like it. If you have a question you want to answer it on the podcast, email us, podcast at whoop.com. Call us, 508-443-4952, and we'll answer your questions on a future episode. Without further ado, here are the fearless Kristen Holmes and Dr. Allison Brager. Taking your sleep to the next level with Dr. Allison Brager. <laughs> okay. Hello. Let's let's back do again. It. Yes, I think exactly. this is our third installment of sleep. It is, and yeah. actually, it's nice to finally do it in person. I know this actually is our first recording in person. Mm-hmm. This is so exciting. And I don't have to worry about my internet connectivity know, crapping we... out and all that. <laughs> Middle of nowhere, North Carolina. I know, I know. We did have some challenges. And your background was just classic. You have cabin. Yep. <laughs> cabin in the woods. Yep. Maybe to start, I really want to talk about the ideal conditions for sleep. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, I, I think that I love the fact that sleep is being elevated. You know, it, lots of conversations about about sleep, how to get good sleep. What are the conditions for good sleep? Maybe we can start a where do you think the conversation maybe goes a little wrong? Uh, that is a great question to ask. I think, number one, which uh, there really is no scientific basis for it, and honestly, with when you think about the physiology of sleep, met, of sleep apnea, mm. is the mouth taping. That's, that's one oh. thing that I, I don't know how that became popular and who... Uh, put that forth, but I mean, the concept makes sense in that you want to teach yourself to diaphragmatically breathe, Right. but wear that mouth tape during the day when you're idle and not talking to people, not at night when you're sleeping, when you're desperately always trying to get air, no matter who you are as a person. So I think that's, uh, you know, when you talk about conversations gone wrong, people have great concepts but they just, in, you know, scientifically, they just, they it's don't just hold. unfounded. Yeah. Just unfounded. A little bit more on the mouth taping because this is, is interesting. We actually see, so I've just seen in the data, and this is just ANIC data. Mm-hmm. So obviously I'm very careful, but, you know, very in the sense of people non sleep apnea, so mm-hmm. they don't have any sleep conditions or sleep disorders. So they're just like kind of typical people who, are not getting into deeper stages of sleep, mouth tape, and all of a sudden are getting, you know, significantly more restorative sleep. Mm-hmm. What do you think is 
happening is is well so that's it, that really is the trigger between like going from shallow breath to diaphragmatic breathing i guess i'm not saying that mouse taping doesn't work but it doesn't work for everyone especially yeah. if you are an athlete or if you're in the military or somebody who's prone to sleep apnea right that's, that's sort of to me a recipe for disaster got it um, yeah but yeah. who knows my mind could be changed if yeah yeah but uh, it's i think it's no understanding that it's not a panacea yeah and, and certainly if you have a sleep condition or you know disordered sleep in some way you know math thumping actually could be counterproductive so yeah. always seek a medical professional exactly. when engaging in any of these, you know, more extreme kind of modalities, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Well, we finally got evidence now for um, the micro sleeping. Mm -hmm. So this idea, again, great concept of yeah. sleeping in 20 to 30 minute bouts mm -hmm. across the 24 hour period that's aligned with um, your drops in core body temperature. There was somebody in Europe who finally did a study where they put people on a schedule like that for two weeks. And what they found is just like you find with the other data on anabolic hormones mm -hmm. is that their growth hormone and their testosterone levels are essentially zero by day three into doing that schedule for two weeks. Wow. Um, so again, everything in moderation, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that, so that comes, I think, with the, the sleep routine too. Yep. Yep. So for folks leading into bed, you know, what would you say are kind of those optimal conditions? So we know that, you know, even with, with blue light kind of working into the late evening could potentially impact your sleep onset. Mm -hmm. So your ability to kind of fall asleep um, and, and maybe more of your ability to kind of stay asleep. What are some conditions leading into bed that impact our ability to fall asleep and stay asleep? So number one is the anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Any sort of anxiety you have leading up to bed will manifest itself when you sleep or you're trying to sleep. I think we all know that. You know, in working with military populations, that's the first thing that um, cognitive behavioral therapists for insomnia have to really, you know, challenge these uh, veterans or, you know, active duty folks to, to do is to just shut their brain off because they're not people who are used to ever shutting the brain off um, from danger. A second thing, you know, it goes back to the basics, right? Like the cool, dark, quiet. That right. that's like honestly, my cabin in the woods is like <laughs> the perfect place for getting a good night's sleep mm -hmm. because it is super dark and there's, you know, it's super quiet too. Oh, just the crickets. Just it literally is just the crickets and oh, sometimes a, I love that. a coyote or something outside. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And you get it cold cold enough down there. In North exactly. Carolina. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you know, with AC and stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and what's the what's the optimal temperature? Would you say? I know it probably varies for individuals, and you know, there's probably even some gen, you know, some sex differences there yeah. potentially. But what would you say? Is a... um, so right now, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine uh, recommends 66 to 68 mm. degrees. Um, that's more or less the consensus that came out. Um, a, a lot of it was actually pioneered by the uh, fatigue management group at NASA. Oh, nice. um, as you can imagine, yeah. they sort of. Uh, uh, do a lot of discovery-based science because mm -hmm. that's, you know, one of the other big challenges of space is sleeping. Right. Do you have anything, you know, just for your nighttime routine that you kind of swear by that may be a little out of the box? Yeah, I mean, 
it's like candlelight. Like I, I literally, I, I mean, I love the like aromatic smell of can candles. Yeah. But you and Sam, yeah. And, and oh, he, <laughs> yeah. he is like that too. I He's totally such a forgot, I totally forgot <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah, I mean, I it's hard to like. Sometimes I'll bring candles with me and mm -hmm. like put them in hotels. I'm yeah. sure that's not you know what the hotel staff wants to hear. But yeah, that's part of it is like creating a, mm -hmm. a candlelight environment. Yeah, I love that um, so much. Yeah, I just yeah. There's just something. I think there's probably an evolutionary basis of, you know, just the being by the fire at night, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's actually how, for me, that habit started was in graduate school because um, uh, I was in a biology department in grad school. So we would actually take turns helping the ecology students with their mm. research. Um, most of it was like tropical research in Costa Rica. Oh, cool. So when we would be in these research stations that had zero electricity, like zero running water, things like that. We would actually have to, like, once the sun set, because it's as close as possible to the equator, so the sun would set every day at 6 p.m., and we would have to spend, like, the last three or four hours, you know, in candlelight playing cards or, like, oh, so dominoes, fun. keeping yeah. ourselves entertained. Um, and I just remember, like, <laughs> dominoes. Do I, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what they, like, Backgammon. that's literally, like, all there is to do because yeah, there's totally. no electricity. I love that. But I just remember having, like, the greatest sleep there. I started adopting that practice afterwards, yeah. and then obviously, like being a circadian researcher, I was like, oh, this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so minimizing light into the lead, in, lead up to bed is just really critical. So would you say a couple hours before you intend to sleep is really the optimal amount of time to, to start to, you know, decrease, create that dim, you know, that dim environment, that dim yeah. environment? I would say about 90 minutes. I mean, you know, not everyone like realistically has a few hours mm -hmm. before they lead up to bed, but I would yeah. say at least 90 minutes. And talk about the relationship between light and melatonin. So I don't think folks really appreciate like how critical of a hormone melatonin is, mm -hmm. you know, in addition to obviously making us sleepy, it also has you know, loads of other benefits. So maybe just talk about the role of melatonin just in general for health and how do we kind of set ourselves up to have like an optimal like release of melatonin. Yep. So melatonin, yes, it is. We call it the, the hormone of darkness, mm -hmm. which means that, you know, it helps consolidate sleep. But it's also going in to have these indirect benefits of restoration and regenerative recovery by virtue of stimulating anabolic processes. We also know that melatonin, especially um, coming from tart cherries, is really um, good for muscle recovery. Mm -hmm. Melatonin is also a byproduct, people don't realize this, of serotonin, which, mm -hmm. you know, can affect gut health, it can affect mm -hmm. mood. So that's, um, that's another factor to consider too. But, you know, the real key with melatonin is what you get in pill form is nowhere near the, you know, internal production and release from the pineal gland. Mm -hmm. In the sleep field, we have this uh, acronym called DILMO, which stands for dim light melatonin onset. Mm -hmm. And that's truly what you need in order to optimize your melatonin release is dim light, i.e. <laughs> candles or dim light right. at night. Um, not bright artificial not lights. Exactly. Like streaming into the retina. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we do in our, in our sleep studies when we do mm -hmm. like sleep manipulation and mm -hmm. sleep deprivation. That's how we're able to make people fall asleep in the middle of the day. It's just, yeah. 
you know, yeah, dim the exploiting light. the, the right. dim light levels in the environment. So when you want to be alert, lots of bright, natural, and artificial light. When you want to be sleepy, darkness. Yep, exactly. <laughs> as dark as you can get. Yep. Let's talk about manipulating our circadian rhythm a little mm -hmm. bit. So just because we shift our circadian rhythm doesn't mean that we've positively adapted to that shift in circadian rhythm. So maybe yep. talk about how do I know I'm kind of optimizing the timing of that release of melatonin and is there such a thing? I mean, sleep consistency, right? Mm. That's the first, that's truly the only way to optimize the release of melatonin mm. is you know, we have this body full of clocks and they are super sensitive and receptive to external cues. So the more predictability those clocks have in a day from, you know, when you're eating or when you're training or when you're working, mm -hmm. the more likely they will, you know, release melatonin or cue the onset of, of melatonin release at that time. Right. Now, not everyone can be so lucky to have a stable schedule, myself included. Yeah. You know, that's the irony of being a sleep researcher. Right. Is I spend a lot of time in the military. Yeah, in yeah. the military, I spend so much time traveling. Right. Right. So when you're talking about jet lag, I mean, I always say there's you can't cure jet lag completely. Right. There always going is going to be some lingering effect, mm -hmm. but you can reduce the consequences of jet lag through these hacks. So. Mm -hmm dim light exposure. That's mm -hmm. that's truly the, the best thing you can do is, you know, when you're flying, doesn't matter where you are in the world, make sure you're staying up no matter how tired you are mm -hmm. past when the sun sets or make sure you're rising as soon as the sun rises in the right. morning, especially right. if in you're your on a time zone. flight. Yeah, yeah, in the new yeah. time zone. Um, and then on your flights, you know, just manipulating, trying to like assimilate to whatever that new time zone is. So for example, if it is you know, 3 p.m. in the afternoon when you're on the flight, but the flight, you might be, you know, it might be dark on, on the plane, like you want to expose yourself to bright light. And then when the sun starts to go down, that's when you can actually sleep when you're on the plane. Yep. So trying to like match that timing is really important. Yep. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah just mimicking the conditions as much as possible through light. I mean, yep. obviously exercise can help facilitate the process mm -hmm. too. So when you land maybe in the morning, getting out and going for a run, even though it might be the middle of the night in your, you know, your home time zone. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you might be just super sore from, you know, mm -hmm. how you're sitting on the plane, mm -hmm. but yeah, you need to. And in meal times, you want to yep. assimilate, you know, have the same sort of thing as you're traveling, try to, you know, on your way over, if you can eat in the, in your kind of the time zone that you're traveling in, that's ideal, right? Yep. No, absolutely. And no alcohol. And no alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> And, and being smart about your caffeine too, yeah. you know, if, yep. if, you know, just knowing, all right, when I need to, when I need to fall asleep in my, in my new time zone, I need to make sure that I'm tired enough to, to facilitate that. And we don't want to make, add caffeine to the mix to kind of complicate that yeah. process. Yeah. Related to sleep consistency, this is obviously an area that, that you've done a ton of research. Um, I, my team and I do a, lots and lots of research around sleep consistency and we do start, we do see that at 30 minutes of variation, we basically see that as equal to a 42% increase in the odds of having an abnormal HRV. So there's some real physiological repercussions of an unstable sleep-wake time. And we also found, looking at sleep onset offset in military operators, um, it was published in Military Medicine in May, um, we saw that um, the more disrupted sleep-wake time 
basically correlated with psychological, all sorts of measures of psychological functioning. So there's a clear psychological impact of lots of variability, and this has been, you know, well-documented in, in lots of literature, but we also are seeing, you know, these clear perturbations in physiology once we get outside this 30-minute window, which seems so stinking narrow yeah. and kind of impossible, right? Yeah. Um, modernity challenges us in so many ways, but this is, I think, probably one of the biggest issues. Maybe talk a little bit about the impact of sleep time on kind of metabolism and you know we obviously see this manifest in cardiovascular parameters as mm -hmm. I just mentioned heart variability what are some other potential levers we can pull if this very this you know sleep wake consistency is like not achievable mm -hmm. and i know this is an area that you spend a lot of time in yeah yeah well it's honestly it's no different than what we talked about with jet lag, right? Yeah. You have to be willing and able to manipulate those external cues because at the end of the day, that's what happens when these external cues are misaligned. Mm -hmm. um, when you're going to bed at the, you know, 30 minutes later, or 30 minutes earlier, those external cues are being misaligned. So you have to factor in, okay, when am I having caffeine or should I have it now? what types of meals you eat and the nutritional content of those meals, even exercise, those are ways that you can manipulate those schedules. Um, and, you know, that's something we definitely do within, within the military, um, given the rapid time zone shifts. Yeah. Um, and that's what we you know, recommend now are these holistic practices that go a long way. Yeah. And, you know, just, you know, when we're talking like 30 minutes again, that's like just seems really narrow like what about for folks who you know are just making have choice you know but are kind of making decisions to kind of be misaligned and yeah. i think it's it's fine if you make those choices just kind of understanding the the physiological and psychological ramifications like what do we have a sense of like the and maybe if you can just talk about some of the literature like i think shift works a really good example of you know just this compound effect mm -hmm. of just these large, you know, bouts of, of kind of misalignment. And those are kind of more obvious examples, but what about just the 30 minutes, you know, here or there every night? Like, do we, is that going to, do you think that has the same sort of impact or? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, whether it's work related or just lifestyle related, it's going to have an impact because again, the circadian clock health is optimized through routine and things happening essentially down to the minute. Like yeah. that's that's how just, precise the circadian clock is. And we know that because, you know, perfect example, if you have a structured routine, you're going to bed the same time every day and you're waking up the same time every day. You don't need an alarm at a certain point. Like right, totally. If you wake up at, set your alarm for 7.30 and you have a structured routine, you're going to start waking up at 7.28, 7.29 without setting an alarm. Yeah. Um, but it does, it, it definitely has a, a long-term impact. You know, in the sleep field, we call that chronic sleep restriction. Mm -hmm. The circadian field, we call it chronic circadian misalignment. Mm -hmm. And once you reach that chronic state, I mean, you have to do, you have to put in work to, to get, get it back. back to homeostasis. Yeah. You know, we say for every night of sleep loss, it takes two days of recovery. Well, right. it's the same with circadian rhythms. Yeah. Too. 
I feel like it's um, it's hard to get folks on board. Yeah. You know, we just yep. look at our data like that's, yeah, I mean, the, it's crazy. I mean, when you look at, you know, military operators, I mean, I think for those folks, like it, it, it's it's so variable that it's almost random yeah. <laughs> in the data. Yep. Their sleep wake time, like it's it's like kind of frightening. Yeah, that's but, terrifying. And we look at it when our, we look at our member base too. It's you know they're still well below I think what would be even average sleep yeah. con, you know sleep wake consistency. So it's definitely an area that I think for members listening, you know, if you're like oh, I'm doing everything to optimize, yeah. you know, but really really dial in on your sleep wake time and it, you can find it in your the weekly performance assessment mm-hmm. you can see kind of your night to night variability we don't actually store those data which is a shame because we'd love it'd be really fun to do more research on that but 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 folks can see that on a weekly basis and you want to just try to again make that um, sleep wake variability as narrow as as humanly yeah. possible to to optimize everything that you're talking about yeah and i think people you know, on their own will self-discover that, you know, that's the beauty of having, going back in your history and seeing Mm -hmm. what your recovery was and you can, you know, do a, use a military term, an after action review to to see why that was. And over time that should be manifest in yourself, you know? Yeah. And (laughs) ARR. Yeah. Yeah. I love that concept too. Like of, and I think that's what's so powerful about the weekly performance assessment, the monthly performance assessment, is that you can really look back and see these kind of trends. And now with behavioral impacts, you can start to see what behaviors are kind of laddering up, you know, in a positive way, you know, what maybe is contributing, you know, to maybe negative trends. Yeah. And and you can start to make more conscious choices, which I think is is really exciting. You yeah. Know? And it's, I think it's, I think it's nothing to stress about necessarily. It's just like, I think an informed choice is certainly... Yeah. A better choice. Oh no, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like the I always go back, like the, the beauty of the Whoop platform is the competition, mm-hmm. um, competitive nature of having different friends and you know, platforms of folks you're competing with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you want to win the, the weekly whoop score. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's where you start is with sleep consistency. So circadian disruption um is is the underlying etiological factor for metabolic syndrome. And it's been suggested that it be called, it it actually should be called instead of metabolic syndrome, circadian syndrome. Mm -hmm. What's your, what are your thoughts about kind of circadian rhythms and metabolism? And, you know, how do, I think that's another area just when I talk to folks, like not really considering kind of the timing of their meals, for example, but you know, just how that misalignment basically is contributing to, to kind of metabolic factors. Yeah. So, I mean, most, most people don't use, uh, know this because, you know, they haven't spent the last 10 years in the lab <laughs> studying this stuff yeah, at totally. a finite cellular yeah. level, but mm-hmm. circa- circadian rhythms and the circadian clock truly controls all those metabolic processes from the level of hormones down to the cellular level. So even if we consider the, the hormone of hunger and satiety, ghrelin, there is, mm-hmm. there's a circadian-driven release in ghrelin. There's a circadian-controlled factor to insulin release and insulin sensitivity mm-hmm. across a 24-hour period. You um, want to be insulin sensitive. I think yeah. folks don't realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's certain <laughs> time points that 
Well, I was studying this in mouse models, but even in mice, mm -hmm. you know, they have a very robust rhythm in insulin sensitivity throughout the day. And that's not just like muscle tissue, that's other right. tissues as well. Um, to include the brain. So when you're eating, when you are more resistant, when you're more insulin resistant, mm -hmm. that puts huge amount of stress on your body, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So this is got what we're talking yeah. about is that there's going to be time periods during the day where you are going to be kind of metabolically primed yeah. to digest food in that mechanistically it's the insulin, right, that yeah. is going to be, I guess, ready to carry the glucose to like all the muscles, right? And then yeah. sometimes it's you know, it's going to be more primed to do that versus others. So yep. maybe just talk about like, what can folks do to kind of, because this all relates to sleep, yep. right? Like if we're not doing, if we're not eating kind of during these kind of optimal times throughout the day, that's going to impact our sleep onset potentially. It's going to impact our ability to stay asleep also. And that's like one of the areas that I think our members really struggle with most is how do I stay asleep? Yep. You know, and maybe just talk through kind of how do we should be thinking about our food during the day in the lead up to bed and how that might impact their sleep. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the, you know, first things, and, and not everyone has this, and, you know, this is something mm -hmm. I, I don't recommend for elite athletes, but for the rest of us, intermittent fasting, right? Right. That's one great way to make the, the insulin release as, as sensitive as possible. The second thing is, is coffee, right, mm -hmm. or any sort of caffeine. Um, Maybe on the fasting, just before you, because oh, yeah, I yeah. think, so, you know, eating during the day, you said make it really pronounced. So eating during the day, and then as soon as the sun goes down, you're fasting. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, I mean, that's, it goes back to human evolution, mm -hmm. what we used to do thousands of years ago. And the, I mean, I would bring up mice and rats, but that's literally <laughs> what, what they do too. Like right. they have the most optimal circadian health of them all when, right. you know, they don't have predators and they're like in their cages. Right. You know, right. On their own is they, uh, basically fast for 12 to 14 hours and then they have a period where they eat and again this is on their own volitional control right and then they go to sleep and humans right. we're we're no we're not we're special same. yeah we're, right. we're mammals too so you want to make sure that we're not we're not digesting food when we're trying to sleep exactly right? i mean that's really what the the mice and you know anyone who's doesn't have access to a fridge, for example. Right. <laughs> They're basically eating during the day and then just fasting throughout the night. And, and maybe the role of digestion and sleep would be good to just hit on real quick. Yeah. Um, the other thing, let's talk about blood glucose, right, yeah. is you don't want to have a high level of blood glucose. Mm -hmm. So if you are, you know, you have to eat because I remember, and you remember this too, at one point during your highest period of training, like I'd wake up in the middle of the night starving, like yeah. just and have insomnia from being starving. Yeah. So I would have to eat low glycemic food. That way I don't spike my blood glucose. Right. That right. does that goes a long way too. Right. So for folks who are training, that's just a great kind of hack. Like you want to make sure that you're, you know, keeping if you're gonna eat in the lead up to bed, because you maybe just didn't eat enough calories during the day and you don't want to wake up hungry, just low glycemic foods ideally. Yeah. So like, you know, full fat yogurt type Walnuts, yep. you know, some, maybe some kiwis in there, raspberries that have the serotonin, which, yep. you know, can exactly kiwis. Yeah, people forget about melatonin. that. Cashews. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like, so there's a study that came out recently, like warm glass of milk. Yeah. Like they, they isolated the proteins that show that they have sleep promoting proteins. Mm. And 
not just a glass of cold milk, like a glass of warm milk, because that, you know the heat creates enzymes that which mm -hmm. activates these proteins. Right, right. Yeah, that's so cool. All right, and you were going to talk about caffeine. So maybe like let's hit on all the behaviors we talked about. You know, cold, hot, quiet. We talked about all the circadian behaviors. So really, just that creating that alignment around these cues that we know are going to impact our circadian rhythms. So that's you know, exercise and light exposure, light restriction, meal timing, sleep-wake time. So we hit on like a lot of the big things. Talk about just some of the other behaviors that can impact sleep onset and our ability to stay asleep. So what are those kind of those big ones? Yeah, so caffeine is a big one, right? Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter how tolerant or sensitive you are. Um, the half-life of caffeine is six to eight hours. Um, so... It's yeah. going to be in your system for right. that long. Um, and based on your genetics, if you're a slow metabolizer, it's going to be in there for like right. 10, 12 hours. Working out right before bed, that's mm -hmm. a huge one. I, I mean, moderate exercise, fine, but high intensity training, right. you know, you have to stop that at least three or four hours before yeah. bed. We now finally have studies that have done it right now to show with high intensity training, you know, it takes three or four hours for your core body temperature to renormalize and stay same with your cardiovascular right. system to renormalize. Yeah. And there's probably, if you're working out kind of that late, you're probably exposed to light too. So there's just like a yeah. confluence of conditions that make sleep onset really tough. Right. And, and if you can even be so tired, and I think this is with caffeine too, like, oh, I'm not affected. Like I can fall asleep. It's because you're probably carrying a lot of sleep debt. But I think invariably you end up having a more fragmented sleep experience. Is this what you've seen yep. in your research with caffeine? Yep. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we... Um, you just rev a little higher in terms of your heart rate and, you know, a little bit more depressed heart rate variability. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, caffeine can be beautiful for, you know, neuroprotection and things like that. It's just you yeah. have to put that away afternoon or so. Right. Can you talk about creatine? Oh, yeah, In sure. sleep? There's been yeah. some new research around that as well. And yeah. Yeah, uh, that's actually. It's neuroprotective um, and it made me think of creatine. Yeah, no, actually, I think. So I have like a little concoction before I go to bed, and creatine's part of it. Mm -hmm. um, so creatine, people think of it as like, a, you know, building muscle mass. Mm -hmm. It's really just it's an energy source for human life. It's mm -hmm. like part of contributing to the powerhouse of the human cell. And when we sleep, that's actually where we replenish all those basic energy reserves to include creatine. Yeah. So there's some research now to suggest that, uh, you know, having creatine right before bed essentially pre-feeds the cells and gets them, like, primed for anabolic processes, mm. which, you know, can continue to thrive during sleep because what it does is it increases slow-wave sleep. Um, so that's the relationship between slow-wave sleep and creatine is when your slow-wave sleep is high, then creatine production and um, storage is high. And you can use creatine supplementation to sort of facilitate that process. Nice. Um, again, it's good for other things too. Like, yeah. you know, if you've you know, had a TBI like me or or have had a concussion, it's it's really great for neuroprotection as well. There's I don't know if this has been published yet, but I know there's a study that is has been ongoing looking at concussion or, or traumatic brain injury in children and creatine supplementation in the experimental group 
and no creatine supplementation in the control group. Yeah. And it seems as though the experimental group is, is, um, is seeing some, some huge recovery benefits relative to the control. Yeah, I definitely have seen that research. I totally believe it because yeah. the thing about concussion recovery or TBI recovery, uh, I did a little bit of this in animal models, mm. is right after you have that brain insult, um, you, you have to let the brain sleep. Like that's one of the myths about concussions is you can't keep that person awake. You have to let them sleep as yeah. much as possible, especially within that first 72 hours. Right. That's the healing, right? Yeah, like exactly. you got to allow the body to shut down. And yep. And if you disrupt that slow wave sleep, because we've done this in animal mm -hmm. models, like if you in that 72 hour period disrupt it, then you increase the amount of damage to the brain. You don't get the short term or the long term recovery. Right. But yeah, sleep is absolutely essential and creatine can help facilitate that process. I love that. Alcohol. Oh, yes. Yeah. Everyone's favorite topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I spent, we talked about this before, mm -hmm. five years, I sort of did my PhD yeah. dissertation on was um, how alcohol and cocaine separately, like through different mechanisms, disrupt the circadian clock. Yeah. And mouse models, not human models. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but it's all the same, right? Yeah. Um, no, alcohol is... I feel I'm pretty certain cocaine disrupts the circadian Oh, yes, absolutely, yes. yes. <laughs> I will go on the record saying that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With no, no scientific evidence. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I mean, alcohol is so disruptive because yeah. you're not going to get that restorative sleep. Right. It might feel like it psychologically, but... You know, physiologically, right. you're never going to yeah. get that. Being unconscious and, and getting yeah. into deep sleep is totally two different things. Yeah. And what we find with alcohol is, and this is what we very carefully studied in animal models, is it literally prevents the photic input from reaching the circadian clock. Right. Um, so what it does is the alcohol competes with one of the receptors that is responsible for creating this, you know, circadian responsiveness to light. It actively blocks the those receptors and the um, appropriate neurochemicals from binding to those receptors. That's insane. I don't. Yeah. I've actually never heard that. Yeah, I mean, the the research um, we did in graduate school. You know, just like most scientific stuff, it gets buried in <laughs> yeah. in the libraries and the journals that nobody ever reads. Which is such a bummer. Like that's that's actually yeah. like so interesting. Yeah. So alcohol competes with the photic input. Yeah, yeah. So it's through um, the neurochemical glutamate. So there's... Oh, um, got it. Yeah, the, yeah. Because when sense. you, you know, not to get too specific, but when you're exposed to light and that light travels to the retina, there's a release of glutamate, which mm. glutamate then binds to the circadian clock in the hypothalamus. And so what happens with alcohol is it directly competes for binding to those receptors within the hypothalamus. Dang. It's really cool. Cocaine does something similar, but it's actually through serotonin and dopamine okay, that right. it does that. But they and both block photic and actually non-photic input, too. I wonder it's how it impacts melatonin. Cocaine, so, mechanistically. I mean, it would... Um, I forget the exact mechanism, but alcohol definitely has um, a direct impact on the... Uh, release of melatonin, not from the pineal gland, but mm. the upstream trigger from um, there's a serotonergic path. There's a serotonin pathway that precedes the release of melatonin, okay. and the alcohol blocks that. Okay. Got it. Dang. So, should adults feel sleepy during the day? Yes, absolutely. 
It's okay. just it's circadian rhythms, right? right. The robustness okay. in the clock, it dips in the middle of the day because right. our core body temperature dips in the middle of the day. So that is the optimal time to take a, it's a short siesta and how short should it be? How long should it be? When's the timing in relation to when I intend to sleep? Give us the rundown. Uh, so 20 to 30 minutes, no more than that. Real, it varies um, why, why mostly because you don't want to go into a, a full sleep cycle because okay. then you're going to start feeling groggy. Right. Um, and then also you might shift your circadian clock too, depending. Right. So you basically um, will disrupt your kind of natural sleep when you're going to release melatonin. You're, yeah. You'll shift that. Right? Yeah, exactly. Which now we get outside that 30-minute window. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, and then... You know, it does vary from person to person, but you got to find that time of day where you're actually sleepy and actually just, just take a nap. Yep. Um, you know, the thing about napping is, you know, once your body gets that in that, um, you know, low point in the middle of the day, like it, you can pretty much fall asleep anywhere. And yeah. that, that does happen. Um, but it's just, it's all about a cultural thing, right? It's reducing this cultural stigma about napping. I think it's much better today than what it used to be. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think workplaces and then, you know, even just stay at home, teleworking, yeah. you know, even in the military that has been reduced, the stigma around that. Yeah. So. And for folks who they, they don't know, we've got this beautiful little haptic alarm. You can set your, yep. set your alarm. Exactly. Um, yeah, that thing has been great too. Isn't, yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't disrupt anyone. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's phenomenal. Allison. Thank you so much. Of course, um, absolutely. Such a pleasure it's talking great to, to you. Be here, yeah. um, this is just such a cool conversation and lots of new nuggets yep. of info. Pumped. Thanks again to Dr. Allison Brager for joining the podcast discussing all things sleep and recovery. If you enjoyed this episode of the Whoop Podcast, please leave a rating or review. Please subscribe to the Whoop Podcast. You can check us out on social at Whoop at Will Ahmed. If you have a question you want to see answered on the podcast, email us, podcast.whoop.com. Call us, 508-443-4952. We'll answer your questions on a future episode. If you're thinking about joining Whoop, you can visit our website, sign up for a 30-day free trial membership, and take the first step to unlocking your own best performance today. New members can use the code WILL, W-I-L-L, to get a $60 credit on Whoop accessories. And that's a wrap. Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next week on the Whoop Podcast. As always, stay healthy and stay in the green.